Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special UFC Orlando edition of Half the Battle are my two friends, Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence of Before the Bald Man Speaks and Cody Saftik of Bookie Beatdown. Andrew, it's good to talk to you again, man. I was on Before the Bald Man Speaks last week, and now you are here on Half the Battle. How's it yeah, going? Yeah, uh, I just can't seem to stay away from you for long, uh, Dan. Um, fantastic to be on the show. Uh, looking forward to this card. Look forward to chatting about it. I know, man. We're uh, kindred spirits, and my boy Cody. You know, I uh, obviously listen to Bookie Beatdown all the time. I had uh, your co-host Paul on the show about a week or two ago, and now we got Cody back on. So how's it going, man? Yeah, good, man. Technically speaking, last uh, last card of the year. So uh, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. And you know, we got a lot to talk about, but real quick, you know. Conor McGregor just knocked out the great Jose Aldo in about 13 seconds. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about that in a second, but a lot of people are coming out, and they're calling me an after-the-fact genius. Now, I sincerely appreciate the fact that you're using the word genius when talking about me. I really do, but I am not an after-the-fact guy. Calling me after-the-fact is categorically false because I was the guy who's been telling all you guys for over a year that Conor was going to win. I was the guy who went on. Cage Cash, The Parting Shot Podcast, MMA Juniors, Before the Battle, all these shows, you follow my Twitter, I've been saying that, and guess what, all that was before the fact, so for everyone to call, for everyone that's calling me an after the fact guy, fuck you, now, <laughs> I gotta know real quick, you know, uh, wh what was your reaction to Conor McGregor knocking out the great Jose Aldo, yeah, uh, Cody? Well, you know, straight up, I was on uh, Team Aldo going into that fight. I thought that he had the skills. And, and yeah, you're 100% right. You definitely said it because me and you had conversations. You and I had conversations leading in. And you, uh, you know, clearly stayed your intentions to put money down on Conor McGregor. So congratulations on that, sir. But uh, I don't think even if you thought McGregor was going to win, who thought it was going to happen in 13 seconds? I think that's that's the one thing where it doesn't matter if you're pro McGregor or, or pro Aldo or whatever it is. You, you got to give a man respect that it was 13 seconds. But... Uh, people will say lucky punch, not lucky punch. He actually tags him like a couple seconds before, lands the kick, in control, dodges the punch. Land, like If it didn't happen 13 seconds in, it was going to happen a minute in. If it didn't happen a minute in, it was going to happen two minutes in. So I give a man respect where respect is due. I wasn't picking him, but you know he certainly made a believer out of the non-believers. Yeah, I mean, it's oftentimes it's hard to pick against a guy that has been undefeated 10 years, that's been on that long reign, that is the only champion in UFC featherweight history. I mean... I'm the guy that has a picture of Jose Aldo, you know, with a WEC belt signed and framed on my wall. I got a Team Aldo shirt. But when it comes to picking fights and making money, all that shit goes out the window. So when I put 6.5 units on Conor McGregor to win the fight, that's because I was confident he was going to win via knockout. Now, Andrew, I know we've talked about it on Before the Bald Man Speaks, but just let the audience know on half the battle right here, right now. What was your reaction when Conor McGregor knocked out the great Jose Aldo? I mean, I think... Uh... You know, I, I talked with you directly after it, and and we both had this sense of just being dumbstruck for two guys who like to talk a, a lot of shit about MMA. We had not that much to say. I think, uh, you know, collectively, MMA was kind of just, just, just like I said, dumbfounded uh, at, at such a quick knockout result. Um, you know, I, we should put this in perspective first, though. It seems like there's a lot of people, like, throwing, you know, claims back and forth to either side or either, uh, you know, fighter supporter, and... Um, like, there was a good bit of people who thought that Conor was going to win. There was a good bit of people who thought Aldo was going to win. It closed at a, at a pick em price. Like, let's be honest. If you see that line anywhere else, that's a, that's a pick em. Um, You know, 
I, I don't think it was so genius to have picked Connor. I just think that, um, you know, and, and it wasn't this it, this big deal that people are making it out to be. I just think that, uh, you know, we have this habit in MMA of just entrenching champions and thinking that they're going to never go anywhere and that they're going to be supermen forever. Uh, we love making heroes out of, you know, mortal men, but everyone's mortal. Um, anyone can get knocked out. I think that this wasn't a fluke knockout. It was something that was, you know... Um, you know, you're clearly seeing one person's skill set be, you know, executed maybe in a shorter span of time than it would be. Um, you know, but yes, that fight runs 500 times. You know, you get 480 some odd results for uh, for Connor's KO there. Yeah, for sure. And you know, for the time being, obviously, a lot of people, whether they accept it or not, Connor McGregor, he's not going to lose for a while. But one day. He, may, he will lose. I mean, all the greats lose. And, you know, I know it might be early to call him one of the greats, but he is one of the greats. And, I mean, wh whether you accept it or not, it is what it is. Now, we got to talk about UFC Orlando because, I mean, Donald Cowboy Cerrone is finally getting that elusive UFC title shot, and he's taking on Rafael Dos Anjos, a man that's already beat him. But we're going to go back to the beginning of this card, and I want to talk about Kamaro Usman versus Leon Edwards. Now, Certainly, Usman is minus 230 with a comeback on Edwards at plus 190. Now, I know there's a lot of hype on Kamaru Usman, you know. He won that season of the Ultimate Fighter. If you look at him, I mean, he's a very scary-looking guy, but if you look deeper into it, I mean, he's kind of green. He's kind of inexperienced. I've been on Leon Edwards in every single one of his UFC fights. That means he's 2-1. and one. And the fight that he did lose was against a very underrated guy in Claudio Henrique da Silva. I know a lot of people you know, talk shit about that guy, but, I mean, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, and I actually thought Leon, you know, for his UFC debut, considering how young he was, he was like 20 years old, now he's about, what, 23, 24, so I thought he had a pretty decent showing, you know, and now he's training at AKA with the champion Luke Rockle, with the other champion DC, with the former champion Kane Velasquez, and I think he's going to get what he needs here, and he's going to show that Usman is all hype. Now, I know you guys probably disagree with me, but take it away, Andrew. Um, yeah, I, I kind of do disagree with you in this fight. Um, not necessarily that Leon Edwards, you know, isn't a talented guy. I just always look at a fight like this, or, or a fight with um, Usman in it, and I say, you know, can Usman get the takedown? If he can get the takedown, then I'm going to probably pick him in the fight. If he can't, I'm going to fade him. Um, I, this is not a fight I bet on. Why? Because, A, I didn't watch Tough 22. God, you know, God help you if you watched... Dan, I know you watched it, but God help you. You I need. Mean, I mean, it oh, is it twenty-one? I'm sorry. It doesn't, <laughs> it's all irrelevant at this point. Sadly, I watched it. <laughs> God help you as well. But um, yeah, you know, I didn't watch it. I, I didn't watch his fights in in. The, I've seen. Uh, I think it was his pro debut on the finale. Um, sure, he looks like a, a young kid who you know needs that takedown to win. Um, so I'm not going to ride that hype train. Uh, do I know Leon Edwards enough to say that he's not going to get taken down? No, I don't. So I pick uh, Guzman, or Usman, rather, and uh, <laughs> pass on the fight. Hey, now, Cody, I got to know, man, because I was listening to the new bookie beatdown earlier today, and all you guys should listen to that as well. And I got to know, man, do you really think Usman should be a minus 230 favorite? Isn't that a little too steep for such a green fighter? You know what, I think a lot of people are going to look at Usman and that's exactly what they see. He's a green fighter and he's a prospect. But if you think about it, I think you nailed it when you said Leon Edwards, only 23 years old. He's probably the bigger prospect. And he's actually a guy that's now being fed into a situation where I just don't think he's quite ready. If you want to talk about well-roundedness, 
Leon Edwards has tremendous striking. Anybody that remembers him from his Bama career, he, he's very apt at finishing fights. Now that he's been in the UFC, he's fighting a higher level of competition. And other than the Seth Bachinski fight, sometimes he's forced to go to these gritty decisions. When you look at Kamaru Usman, he's a tech, I'm going to say he's a one-dimensional fighter. He's a former NCAA, you know, division, uh, sorry, he's a national champion. I think he's D3, but he's a national champion in wrestling, and he knows that. So he goes into these fights, he gets these takedowns, he looks to hold it. Training at AKA, I'm sure Leon Roberts is making a bunch of improvements. I'm sure he's he, he's making improvements that are going to definitely help him down the road. But at this very moment, I don't think he has the takedown defense to handle Kamaru Usman. So minus 230, I don't love it, but he's the tough champion for a reason. And Edwards is someone who's just kind of being brought into this situation. To Every tough champion gets these fights, their first fight or two, before eventually being fed to the wolves. And I hear what you're saying, but I really think that Leon Edwards is the big step up from Haydar Hassan, who, you know, I think Haydar Hassan is, you know, I mean, he's one of these guys that, yeah, he's probably fun to watch. He'll go in there and either he gets knocked out or you get knocked out, but it's like the guy's kind of chinny and, you know, he's just not that good in my opinion. And that's that's the last fight that Usman had. And, he you know, he made him look like nothing. But in my opinion, this is actually a big step up. But like you said, you know, Leon Edwards is a prospect as well. So we'll see which uh, prospect comes through. But the thing is, I've never seen what happens when, you know, Usman can't get his takedowns and he has to keep the fight standing. I haven't seen that. With with uh, Edwards, I've seen him get taken down and have to work back up to his feet. And I know it's going to be plus two something the day of the fight. So that's why I'm leaning towards Edwards. But I, I understand the arguments for Usman. I mean, you know, if you look at him on – if you look at his pictures, I mean, the guy's fucking scary looking. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, most, most definitely. And the other thing, too, is I've heard that he's put in a really good camp for this fight particularly. Uh, I, I know a striking coach of his, Evan Boris, who went down to the Black Ceilings gym. And by all accounts, he seems to be, you know, in, in fantastic shape, as you alluded to. But, but back to the ultimate fighter of the season that he was on. That win over Michael Graves, that to me shows something as well because – Michael Gray's a kid that, if you talk to anybody at American Top Team, he's the guy. He's unbelievable in the gym. And Dan Lambert is huge on this kid. And maybe, you know, maybe he has some personal demon issues that we kind of saw on the show, or at least they, they alluded to on the show. But Michael Gray's is a good prospect, and he looked quite good, at least in the first two rounds against Vincente Luque, who I'm also kind of high on. So not only did he beat Hader Hassan in the finals, he was on the show, and he didn't just beat Michael Gray's. He was able to use that superior wrestling to clown this blue-chip prospect. And I'd love for him just to be able to do the same thing to Edwards. But you're right, it is a dangerous matchup. Well, let me comment on that real quick because I'm very familiar with Michael Graves. I mean, I trained at Knuckle Up in Atlanta, and for the last three or four months, Michael Graves has been training at my gym oh, with, nice. with all my guys. So I, I know exactly who he is, but I, I don't think Usman clowned him. It was a majority decision. That means that you know it could have gone either way, man. But Not, not clowned him like owned him, but just use, use the wrestling exactly when he needs to. He didn't put himself in vulnerable situations. But uh, as I'm sure you know, Michael Gray's a scary talent. Being this guy definitely counts for something. Absolutely, 100%. And if uh, if Usman goes out there and beats Edwards, I will definitely be very impressed. Now, next up, we got the veteran Cole Miller, who's a plus-115 underdog. And he's taking on Jim Ehlers, who's minus-135. Now, if you're one of these guys that likes to look at the wiki records, you know, you'd probably pick Jim Ehlers because he's 14-1. and one, But if you actually watch the film... Man, Jim Ehlers is super inconsistent for a guy that's 14-1. and one. I know it's it, it's funny to use the word inconsistent when you're looking at a record like that, but, I mean, you know, he'll be dominating you and then you'll get dropped. He's just one of these guys that you can't rely on his chin, you can't rely on his fight IQ, but at the same time, he is young, and there is a chance that he has made those big improvements because with Cole Miller, 
he's not going to be getting that much better. He's already hit that ceiling. So what we see with Cole Miller, you know, is what we can expect, and that's a, a very rangy striker with good jujitsu. And I mean, you know, he's not, he's nothing phenomenal, but he can get the job done against these you know middle tier guys. So it's a matter of is Jim Ayler's another middle middle tier guy, or is he willing to take that next step up? And you know, a, a little backstory. Jim Ayler's and Cole Miller, actually, they were both supposed to fight Conor McGregor, and, you know, thank God for them, they uh, they got saved and didn't have to, you know, <laughs> take, take that devastating knockout loss. Now, uh, Andrew, I got to know, man, Cole Miller or Jim Ayler's? Yeah, I, I you alluded to uh, the fact that Cole Miller kind of has an experience advantage, and I like that in this fight. Um, I, I've never really been impressed with Ayler's. Um, I love that you alluded to the to just the obvious fact that both of them would have been KO'd by Connor. It's not even up for debate at this point. They would have just been murdered. Um, that would have actually been super entertaining to watch in Brazil uh, to see Cole Miller get knocked out. I'm not a huge Cole Miller fan, but I super respect the dude's uh, jiu-jitsu game. Um, and that's what I think gets it done here. You can probably throw, you know, get a couple more dollars by throwing it on that uh, Cole Miller prop uh, by submission. But um, I'll take him straight up, and uh, that's the pick. That's the bet. I think it's like, yeah, it's floating at like 125 with an upward trend. You know, maybe grab that on fight night. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like the money is coming in on Jim Ayler's. Now, Cody, I got to know, man, who's going to win this fight? Well, I'm a big Jim Ayler's fan, so it definitely pains me to go against him. But I would actually avoid the submission, or the submission prop and just try to get it inside the distance prop. Because as you alluded to, Daniel, uh, Jim Ayler's is a chini guy. You said he was 14-1. and one. He's actually 14-2. and two. Both of his losses are by KO, and uh, especially in that Chaz Skelly fight. Chaz Skelly, just a wrestler, not a striker. Basically just starts swinging bombs, clipped Ehlers, and Ehlers went down. And uh, in the Alan Omer fight, same thing. Bombs is what's going to catch this guy, and they put him on, on, on Queer Street, so to speak. Uh, with Cole Miller, not a power puncher, don't get me wrong. Not exactly someone known to go in there and hit you, but in Ehlers' case, he doesn't move his head off the center line. He's a very stagnant, stagnant striker. And uh, unless he goes in and tries to just wrestle down Cole Miller, which is not a typical Jim Miller's game plan, he's more of a go out there and just go with the flow kind of fighter, as we've seen him in Cage Warriors, it, this doesn't seem to be a good stylistical matchup with him. He's too short, he doesn't have the reach, Cole Miller's just going to stick the jab in his face, and eventually when Cole Miller knows he's got that distance there, he's going to plant that right hand and I think put Ehlers down. Now, Cole Miller might jump on his back and choke him out after he has him wobbled, or maybe he goes through the TKO. That's why I think the specific finish prop is dangerous, but inside the distance to get some additional money, I am kind of feeling that, and I hate saying that because I do like Jim the Beast. Yeah, well, since I'm not betting on this fight, I will just go on paper and say that, on record, I mean, that I am picking Cole Miller and rooting for him. I mean, I got to go with the Georgia boy, you know, I've ran into him like a couple shows downtown, and he's a pretty damn cool guy, so I got him for the victory here. Now, next up, we got Nick Lenz versus Danny Castillo, and I mean, you know, obviously it's a pick em. I mean, what would you expect with those two in there? And, you know, they're two proto prototypical grinders, and it's interesting. Whenever you get these matchups where it seems like a lock on paper that it's going to go over two and a half rounds, one guy gets knocked out in about 30 seconds. Let me give you an example. You know, there was a fight between KJ Nunes and Sam Stout, and everyone in the world, myself included, we were all like, oh, yeah, this is the lock to go over two and a half rounds, right? And then KJ Nunes starches him in about 30 seconds. So it was one of those things. You know, my boy, the MMA genius, he had the over in the LaFleur versus Pierce fight, and that hit, but it was funny because, you know, we were expecting them to just hug each other. They come out, and they start banging, so we were like, holy shit. Yeah, so this could be one of those fights where, you know, obviously Danny Castillo, he does have knockout power, but on the flip side, he also has a questionable chin. Nick Lentz, you know, he uh, 
He's a scrappy guy. Sometimes he goes in there and he stands and bangs and he puts on a show for the fans, and then sometimes he'll just stall you up against the fence. So I'm very curious. You know, another thing that I want to know is, you know, is Danny Castillo training with Dwayne Bang Ludwig for this fight, or is he training at Team Alpha Male where they don't have any coaches? Because when he went to Dwayne Bang Ludwig in Colorado, man, I thought he looked good against Jim Miller, you know, throwing those head kicks, and I thought that fight could have gone his way. But the thing with... Uh, Nick Lance is, you know, he's going back up to 155 pounds. He had a pretty decent showing against Charles Oliveira, almost made him quit in the first round, and then ate that big body kick and was never the same again. So, you know, it's a pick 'em, and I, I honestly don't even have a lean in this fight. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, you know, I actually give the nod in this fight to, um, like, despite my better, despite my my better, smarter brain, I give it to uh, Danny Castillo. Um, Danny's let me down in some big spots. He's just a big athletic guy. I think he's figuring out the striking. I think that's always been his deal. He's a guy who can wrestle. He's not going to be elite, but, you know, he's a guy who can wrestle, and that striking is getting on point. I have to think that he would still be working with uh, Dwayne on this, uh, despite whatever happened to Team Alpha Male, because his striking game has, has stepped up a lot in the last two fights. Um and he must see that as a fighter and realize that like he needs to stick with someone who's giving him all these tools that are going to help him actually keep a career. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, this is one time where I agree with the odds really uh, a lot. It's a pick em fight. Uh, like I said, I pick Danny. Do I bet him? No, because I'm really nervous about Nick Lentz in a lot of ways. He could outgrind him. He could clip him. Uh, a lot of things could happen. Yeah, and uh, on a separate note, I really like your shirt, man. It's almost like a, you know, a play on the Mario Brothers. The dude, it's like a cobra coming up, but it's not yes. a cobra. It's that Venus flytrap from. Of course, uh, from and he's kind of like summoning him up with the flute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like it, man. That's what's up now, Cody. <laughs> I gotta know, man. You know, this is a pick on and w- which way are you leaning? Yeah, well, uh, betting-wise, it's probably just a clean pass. It'd be a fun fight to watch, but uh, like you said, when you mentioned... Well, I guess when you guys were talking about the Aldo McGregor fight, if it's a coin flip fight, it's a coin flip fight. It's 50-50. If it plays out multiple times, it's going to have different outcomes. That's how this fight is. I personally think Nick Lentz is the better fighter. But Nick Lentz is a featherweight. He's not a lightweight. And that's the problem with Nick Lentz. He likes to use his wrestling to kind of... uh, to kind of help out with his striking. You know, he's a decent striker, and he's certainly getting better. But he can strike, he can use that wrestling, he can grind on you, he can hold you up against the cage. That's what makes him a well-rounded fighter. That's what makes him, so to speak, one of those grinder-type specialists like a Darren Elkins. Dan Castillo, on paper, certainly probably is as good, if not a better wrestler than him. He's a naturally bigger guy. He is figuring out his striking. The only problem here is, though, is Danny Castillo's lost four of his last five fights. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He's 36 years old, and he recently just opened up his own gym. So I don't know where his head's at. Maybe he's training with Dwayne Ludwig. Maybe he's staying home. Maybe he knows this might be my last fight in the UFC. I've got to train really hard so I can have a good performance. Or maybe he's one of those guys that already is thinking about life after fighting. Those are all really big question marks that I don't want to put my money on a big question mark like that. So it'd be a great fun. Crack a beer. Enjoy it. It'll be a good time. But, uh, yeah, if you're asking me who I'm leaning, I'm leaning Lens, but it's a very close fight. Yeah, and one thing that, you know, I, I can agree with what you're saying. Obviously, Danny Castillo, he is thinking about life after fighting. That's, that's not a question. That's a fact. I mean, he's, he's mentioned it many times, but, you know, he might still have enough in the tank to beat a guy like Nick Lentz. Maybe not. So I do think Nick Lentz is the hungrier guy, but, you know, he's obviously a featherweight taking on a lightweight. But we'll see what happens. You know, whoever's the better man, we'll tip our caps to you. Now, next up, 
Josh Saman. This is going to be good. He's Ooh. taking on the returning Tamden McRory, who, man, the bar cat, you know, back in, back when he fought in the UFC, it was interesting because this guy's about six foot four, and he took on John Howard, who was five foot seven, and you know, obviously, you know, I got I got a pull for my boy that's short because you know I, I'm representing the the five foot sevens, five foot eights of the world, and my boy John Howard got the victory there. But this is a different fight. He's taking on Josh Saman, who's a physical specimen. And, man, Josh the Man's been looking better than ever. And the thing I like about him is that, you know, not only is he, you know, knocking guys out with head kicks and choking Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts out, the guy has overcome adversity. If you watch his fight with the queen, uh, Kevin Casey, you know, Kevin Casey had him in a very locked-in triangle choke where a lot of people would have tapped or passed out. And, you know, the heart displayed by Josh the Man is just something you can't, you, you can't put into words. And also what the guy went through outside of the cage. You know, you guys know the story with his ex-girlfriend, so we don't need to talk about that. All we got to do is, you know, praise him for his heart and his courage and his will. So it's almost like I'm talking like a fan here, and I want him to win just for that reason. But at the same time, with McRory, you know, he did take four or five years off from MMA. I think he went back to school or something like that. Maybe one of you guys knows better than me, but he comes back. He knocks out Brandon Ward in 20 seconds, and... I know that's really impressive on paper, but you know my, my boy Tex Johnson, he uh, he submitted Brendan Ward in about 16 seconds. So, and Brendan Ward's a natural welterweight. So you know, Saman's a huge middleweight. So this is a different level of competition than McRory's fighting now. So I got to go with Saman for that reason. But at the same time, we haven't seen McRory back in the UFC, and we don't know what he's fully capable of. Maybe in those four years, maybe he didn't go to school. Maybe he went to you know some jungle somewhere to some dojo and has been training his fucking ass off. Who the hell knows what this dude's been up to? Because he comes back you know, four or five years later, and he's finishing dudes in under a minute. So... But that was Bellator. Bellator is AAA, and now he's in the big league. So let, let's see if he can step up to the plate. Now, what do you think, Andrew? Is uh, McRory going to step up to the plate, or is Josh the man going to have another highlight reel finish? Yeah, um, I like Josh. I like Josh here. Um, I did. I was impressed with the knockout, though. I'll have to admit, like the striking looked on point from the barn cat. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned Bellator. You know, you're just not fighting that level here. And and Josh, maybe, you know, he isn't a name that's, like, solidified in the UFC. But he's fought in the competition. I think this is his third or fourth fight for him now. Um, he's looked really good. He is just an athlete. You know, we, we talk a lot about technique and what technique beats who. It's like sometimes in fights, just a bigger dude fucks up a little dude. And, you know, he has just enough technique to get that going, you know? Um, Mighty Mouse Johnson ain't beating up 170-pounders with technique. Sometimes big people fuck up small people. Um, and I think Josh gets it done with that. I think he uses kicks. Even if, you know, even if he blocks them, they'll still do enough damage. He'll wear them out. It'll go to decision, I think, because, um, you know, the Barncat's just so goddamn tough. Um, and, I, and it's sad, I think, actually. It, it's a bad matchup for him. Um, I, I like him. I, I, you know, I'm talking about uh, Tandem now. Um, you know, he's a fun guy. He's got a cool look. Um, you know, good personality. So I want to root for him, but I can't pick him here. Um, you might even want to look to parlay um, Saman with, with, with someone else maybe later in the card. Yeah, now, Cody, I got to know, you know, Josh Saman or, or Tandem McCrory. Now, here's the thing, man. I am favoring some man, but that minus 170 line, you know, I got a buddy who, you know, is one of the best gamblers in the world, you know, was like top five on that World Series of Poker. He's one of my good friends, and we've been friends for 15 years, and one of the, one of the 
pieces of advice he gave me was that you know that minus 160, minus 170, you know minus 185, those lines are the most dangerous to play. And I mean, anytime I've tried to play those lines, they oftentimes do not come through. But it does seem like a favorable matchup for Saman. What's your perspective, Cody? Yeah, it's funny you say that because someone was mentioning the other day the line's all about what they think you're willing to pay, what the bookie thinks you're willing to pay. And that 165, 170 seems like people, you know, maybe they'd be willing to pay that for Saman to get burned, and I think they will get burned. I'm big on Tam Dan McCrory. Um, as you mentioned, lost to John Howard way back in the day and then takes all this time off. Where has he been? Who knows? But he's been training. He's actually excelled in the Muay Thai department in that time, and his ground game is pretty phenomenal. Other than the fight with Brendan Ward, I mean, he submitted Jason Butcher with ease. And I know Jason Butcher's a Bellator fighter who most people haven't heard of. But in today's day and age of half of the UFC roster, most people haven't heard of, a Jason Butcher could fight on a UFC undercard for some free show. I'm confident in that. Dan Demercory, when he fought John Howard, this is a funny fact, actually. 22 years old, 9 months. Just a kid, man. Now he's 20, he's like 28, 29 years old now. He's a man. And he's grown to that six foot four frame. So everyone's saying Josh Saman is going to have a, a size advantage. I don't know how. I mean, sure, he'll be physically a little thicker, but Tam Damercori is a pretty big guy now. Welterweight's out of the question. He's a full-blown middleweight. And the fact is he's got striking, he's got grappling, and he's got by far my, my favorite quality in a fighter. He's got mad confidence in himself. If you follow this guy online, he knows he's going to be a big deal. He knows he's ready to come back to UFC. He told Bellator, I'll stay here if I get a title shot. They were like, no, we're not looking to give you an immediate title shot. He's like, okay, I want out of my contract. I want to go to the UFC. And this is his time to make a run. I think he does match up good against Saman because Saman is a good grappler, but he's not one to just wrestle a guy down and use that grappling. I think McCrory has a slight grappling advantage. On the feet, I think McCrory's got a slight striking advantage. If the fight goes the distance, then, yes, yeah, Saman's in fantastic shape. Maybe he has that cardio advantage. But this is another guy that runs his own MMA promotion, that runs a – I think he's a co-owner in a gym, owns a bunch of properties out in Florida. Trying to be, you know, the leader at his, I think he's at MMA Masters still. He's got a lot of side things going on. Tam Corey, yes, he owns his own gym as well in New York. But this guy's dialed in. He's focused. I actually think he stops a man. Maybe that's getting a little bit bold. But, uh, you know, you need dogs, and I think this is a dog with a good chance of cashing. Plus 150, count me in. We don't just need dogs. We need to be bold. This is half the battle, so I appreciate that prediction. Now, next up, we got C.B. Dalloway, who's minus 380. And he's taking on Nate... Not so great, Marquardt, who's plus 315. Now, here's the thing with this fight. C.B. Dalloway should win. He should finish Nate Marquardt because Marquardt, he doesn't want to fight anymore. I mean, he's quit, you know, in pretty much all his last couple fights. I mean, that fight with Gastelum was so fucking sad. You know, his corner tries to throw in the towel, and the ref doesn't listen. And, I mean, Marquardt quit on several occasions in that fight until it finally, you know, he was out. <laughs> so it was just, uh, it was very sad to watch. And, I mean, I had, like, 3.5 and 4.5 units on Gastelum and Cejudo parlayed that night. So, you know, we cashed out, but it, sometimes it's not just about the money. Sometimes it's about a fighter's well-being. And when you see a guy who, you know, he dropped to 170 pounds and was getting knocked out left and right, and, you know, then he goes back up and it, it's not getting any better for him. He should have retired a long time ago. The thing with C.B. Dalloway is that he's not that great either. You know, he, he has biz being hurt in the first round and he can't capitalize. And, you know, he, he's another one of these guys that oftentimes he can find a way to lose. He should win this fight. He's training out of a better camp. He's got better training partners, and he's got less mileage on him than Nate Marquardt. Nate Marquardt's literally, he's uh, treading on, on thin ice. You know what I'm saying? Like, one, one little gust of wind, and he'll do the chicken dance for sure. But 
Well, we have to see. As long as CB Dalloway doesn't fight like a dumbass, he should win this fight easily. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, um, I, I, I think you, you, you pretty much summed it up there. Um, but, you know, I keep thinking back about that Nate Marquardt KO of, I think it was Tahuna. It was, yeah, it must have been Tahuna because it was in Australia. There was like a haka before it and everything. Um, <laughs> and um, he completely just, uh, you know, floored him out of nowhere. Everyone was kind of, you know, really uh, big on Tahuna at the time. Basically, you're asking yourself, is CB, is CB Dalloway the... Um, uh, is C.B. Dalloway the uh, you know middleweight version of James Tahuna? Um, I don't know. You know, uh, don't bet on C.B. Dalloway. Don't pay three hundred to to ride with C.B. Dalloway, people. If I can implore you any anything, do not bet on C.B. Dalloway at this much juice. Um, take a gamble on Marquardt when it's you know really wow. close to the fight and put no money on it. Put ten dollars on it. Have fun. Here's the thing, man. First of all, James Tahuna had no business fighting at 185 pounds. He should have stayed at 205, and it was an armbar. And okay. And Marquardt actually does have good jujitsu. I know firsthand because, once again, I'm gonna bring up my gym knuckle up. You know, Master Hikaru Mergel, the red belt. He actually gave Marquardt his black belt. So if you watch Marquardt versus Kelvin Gastelum, when Kelvin drops him and he tries to do that ground and pound, Marquardt was actually slick. He was trying to go for, you know, leg locks and shit like that, but you know, you know that's not going to fucking work in an MMA fight when you're rocked. But uh, he does have good jiu-jitsu, but it doesn't matter because it, and he's got good striking too. Back in the day, he he totally beat CB Dalloway. It's just it doesn't that shit doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, can you take a punch? Are you willing to keep coming forward, you know, if you can take that punch, you know? And Marquardt will look for the door at, you know, any available time in this point in his career. So that's why I'm picking Dalloway, but minus 380, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what do you think, Cody? No, uh, you just stole the words right out of my mouth. I think C.B. Dalloway wins this. Nate Marquardt, to me, will go down as a top 25, as currently, top 25 best middleweights. I mean, if you look at prime Nate Marquardt, things he's done in Pancreas, the fact that he challenged for a belt in the UFC, the fact that he has notable victories. Nate Marquardt was great. He was Nate the Great, but he's just not that guy anymore. TRT ban certainly hurt him. Now he's got this IV ban, so he's back up at, uh, at 185 pounds. And the fact is, I mean, he's a bit of an undersized guy. Since he got thrashed by Tarek Safadine in Force, he's got that James DeHuna win, and that's it. So everything points to Stevie Dalloway. Everything, all the signs point to Stevie Dalloway, point to Stevie Dalloway. Other than the fact that, and Andrew Lawrence mentioned this, it's Stevie fucking Dalloway. Minus, minus 380. I mean, I have sense in my head, and sense is just telling me, like, don't, you can't put him almost close to 400 on C.B. Dalloway. And I would like to say C.B. Dalloway inside the distance, because you're right. The slightest gust of wind might, at this point, floor Marquardt, but... It's C.B. Dalloway, bro. He's got two finishes since 2010. I can't bet on that either. I would like to bet him straight up. The line's not great. Maybe I sprinkle him on some parlays, but that's about it. Let me – can I interrupt for a second? If you were going to like – if someone said, okay, name a fighter who could lose a fight, like a somewhat named fighter in middleweight who could lose a fight to Nate Marquardt, and you made a list of like five fighters, you would put C.B. Dalloway on that list. <laughs> oh, dude, a hundred percent. Remember that like UFC tour where they got all their like they put all. The <laughs> on it. There's a huge like panel of guys, everybody, 
and they bring out CB fucking Dollar because he's fighting Leota Machida, right? And the guy just looks so out of place. And he sits there and he listens to a whole press. Not a single question for the guy. I felt so bad. But at the end of the day, yes, it's it's Clarence Byron Dalloway. That's right. And for those that didn't know, now you do. Now next up, we got Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Miles Fury Jerry. Now little backstory, we all know Charles Dubronx Oliveira fought my boy Max Holloway in August, and, you know, so the fight starts out, and, you know, Max is finding his range, he's landing some nice body shots, and Dubronx tries for a desperate takedown, that doesn't work, he tries to pull guard, and once Max was like, dude, come here, then Dubronx is like, like, he was like, fuck this shit, and, you know, Here's the thing. I'm not. I'm not an insensitive guy. You know, maybe maybe a little, but listen, I'm not an insensitive guy. He said he had a torn esophagus. Okay, wow, that's a fucking serious injury. That's the kind of injury where you don't come back two months or three months later. That's the kind of injury where, dude, you. I mean, you better get medical attention right away. Then a couple of days later on UFC Tonight, turns out he doesn't have a torn esophagus. Turns out nothing's wrong with him. A week after that, Max Holloway and Dubronx both get booked for fights. So, I mean, you know, I'm not going to straight up call him a quitter. Maybe maybe a little bit, but, uh, I mean, the guy's found the door in a couple of fights. That wasn't the first time. But here's the thing. He's exceptionally talented when it comes to his jiu-jitsu, and his offensive striking is very good. I mean, he mixes in those flying knees. He's got very nice combos, you know, leg kicks. The thing with him is, defensively, that's where he lacks, and up here, mentally. And you know, I was actually very impressed that he didn't quit against Frankie Edgar. Frankie was putting it on him, and Dubronx didn't look for the door. I think it's because in that fight, he kind of felt like, hey, I got nothing to lose. I'm fighting the former 55 champion. But against Max, he was like, it's like my boy Lewis said on Half the Battle, Lewis Smolka. He was like, you know, it, it's almost like uh, Dubronx took a wait-and-see approach in that fight. He was going to go in there, see how things go, and once he felt that he had nothing for Max, he, was, he, he looked for the door. And against Jury, it's very interesting because Jury is actually a point fighter. And if you watch Jury versus Cowboy with the sound off, you know, it's not the total ass-whooping that you thought it was when you watched it live. I mean, neither guy walk, walked out of that fight with a scratch. And it's interesting because Jury was actually, he made Cowboy fight his fight a little bit. It's just Cowboy got the better of the exchanges. That's why he won the fight. The thing that people remember is the very end of the third round when, you know, Jury was on his ass and Cowboy's landing those huge kicks. So it was like, oh, he beat his ass. But if you watch that fight, he didn't really beat his ass that much. Jury was actually making Cowboy fight that point fight with him. Now, this is a totally different matchup. It's going to be interesting because Jury does have good wrestling. He's got good top control, as you saw in the Michael Johnson fight. And I know that's before Michael Johnson was the man he is now. But, I mean, that was still Michael Johnson coming off, you know, a knockout win over Danny Castillo, a very dominant decision over Tony Ferguson. So Michael Johnson was no joke back then at all. And Fury Jury, you know, easily 30-27 here. But if he takes Charles Dubronx down, it could be really tough. It's, it could either be a situation where Dubronx finds a sub or... If Jury's able to, you know, nullify that ground game, you know, pass his guard, get on top of him, maybe he can break Dubronx as well. This is another one of those fights where, you know, I was I was talking to my boy my boy Sean Carey, who I consider to be, you know, the best MMA handicapper on planet Earth, and you know, he was like, Daniel, what do you think the opening line is going to be on this? I was like, minus one seventy for Miles Jury, and he's like, fuck no, it's going to be plus one fifty for Miles Jury. It turns out it was minus one seventy for Miles Jury, and what I 
and what I said earlier on the show was at minus 170. That's the scariest line to bet. So I'm passing on this fight, but my lean is with Jerry, but I would not be surprised one bit if he played with fire and got burnt. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, yeah I, 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 actually, I like, I like uh, Oliver here. here. Um, he's, he's minus, minus oh, no, he's plus 110, and he's uh, trending upwards, so wait to bet that, like, you know, towards the end of the fight. Um, or, or towards, you know, the, when the fight's about to start, uh, you know, watch the line. Um, Jury. I, I don't know what to do with, uh, or, or what to really make of Jury. He's looked super impressive at times, and then he looks like, you know, a kid who doesn't really have a great IQ in there sometimes. Um, I, I, and I don't know what to make of Charles Oliveira either. So in a spot like this, I really like to watch the dog and just kind of, you know, because to me it's a coin flip. You know, who wants to show up? I think that if Jerry decides to, you know, do that point fighting style, that he'll end up losing because, you know, Oliveira will get in there and brawl a little bit. You know, he'll get in there and make, and if the fight gets messy in any way, it doesn't stay at range. Um, I think that's Oliveira's game all day. I think that, you know, the jiu-jitsu level between them is is wider than what people want to think. And that, so if there's any kind of ground exchange for any prolonged period of time, you know, Jury's going to be A, either in danger uh, or lose position for enough time to lose the round, or Oliveira is going to, uh, you know, get that submission. Um, like I said, watch this dog. You know, actually, I'm looking at it right now, 110's not great. I wouldn't bet 110. This shoots up around fight time a little bit more into that 150 range. I'll bet it. Yeah. And actually, you brought up some really, really good points that I want to touch on. Just the fact that, you know, he may be in danger, but is he going to get submitted? You know, those are two different things. Because in that Cowboy Cerrone fight, he takes down Cowboy, then immediately Cowboy goes for that Uma Plata, then he takes his back. And we all know, if Cowboy Cerrone takes your back, chances are you're getting choked out. And Miles Jury, he actually showed some very good submission defense and he's had about a year since then to work on you know the holes in his game so I'm actually I'm gonna be very impressed if Dubronx submits him here now Cody I gotta know man Charles Dubronx Oliveira or Miles Fury Jury well the jiu-jitsu advantage for uh, Charles Oliveira definitely scares me but it's basically the only thing that I'm afraid of in this fight I think uh, it plays out for Miles Jury pretty good Miles Jury coming down to 145 pounds I think this is gonna make wonders for him I've met him a couple times in real life and First of all, first thing that jumped off when I met him is that he's a very smart kid. I mean, he's still a young guy. He's very intelligent. He's very well calculated. This is a kid that was undefeated when he was leaving to Michigan and then knew, I need to leave Michigan and go to Alliance. Went to Alliance, got all that training, and then now recently knows, I got to leave Alliance, come down to Power MMA out in Arizona. And apparently, uh, according to him and his coaches, like six or seven of the guys left Alliance with him. He's a natural leader. I, I think he, you know, sky's the limit for him. But back to the way he matches up against Charles Oliveira. If this fight does get messy, and that's not typical for a Miles Jury fight, if the fight does get messy, yes, I think Charles Oliveira quits on himself. And we've seen with Jury, especially in the fight with Diego Sanchez, yo, he clowned you. And I'm going to use clown properly in this way. He clowned Diego Sanchez 327, kicked his ass. Against Takanara Gomi, he smoked him as well. And I get those guys are faded legends, but he's got the goods. It's just a matter of if he can tie it in on game day. Charles Oliveira's defensive striking awful. But he can make it work against some guys because he's very tall for the featherweight division. Five foot ten, he's got some reach, and you see it in the fight against like Nick Lentz. He can standing elbow strike him, tie clinch him, elbow him in the body, separate, body kick. He's got a full arsenal. Against Miles Jury, Miles Jury taller and has a longer reach than Charles Oliveira. And we've seen when Charles fought Max Holloway, who's a tall guy as well, once he can't use any type of reach advantage, he doesn't like to go punch for punch. And that's typically what you have to do. 
when you're not, you have no reach advantage because you got to get inside for some reason. Miles Jury, if he outpoint fights him, he's going to win a decision. If he makes his gritty, he's going to knock him out. The submission game is the big question mark because even though I have knocks on Charles Oliveira, I have no knock on his jiu-jitsu game other than that knee bar against Jim Miller, which, once again, I think he quit on himself in that fight. That guy's got legitimate BJJ. Don't want to play with fire, so hopefully Miles Jury uses his defensive wrestling because he does, comes from kickboxing wrestling background. Keep the fight standing. Don't go to the ground, Charles Oliveira. Put this kid away. All right. And next up, we got Randa Marcos, and she's taking on Carolina Kowalkowicz. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen the film on Carolina yet. And what I think about Randa Marcos is she seems like a chick with a pretty cool energy. You know, she'd be fun to go out and have a drink with. As far as this fight is concerned, I've never seen her opponent fight, so I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you guys. Maybe you know, Cody. Yeah, definitely. Um, Ronda Marcos I'm really familiar with because she's actually from the Windsor area. So I had seen basically all of her fights leading into going to the Tough House, and then that was basically her breakout performance. And even the UFC now, I mean, the split decision loss to Jessica Panay in a fight that was going, it was 1-1 heading into the third. She's a very scrappy girl. She's a girl that's in the top ten currently ranked, and for that reason I think most people don't know who Carolina is and they're going to kind of fade her. But if you watch her last two performances, both decisions, I get that. They're very impressive. In her last Invicta performance, I think it was one of the best female strawweight fights I've ever seen, but her gas tank, at least in that fight, Daniel, it seems infinite. I mean, this girl just seems not to tire. And she's a BJJ specialist, so she wants the fight to be on the ground. Ronda Marcos comes from a you know a Canadian collegiate background in wrestling, although I believe she's... I thought she was Iranian. Someone told me the other day she's Iraqi-Canadian. I thought she was Iranian-Canadian. Regardless, she is strong, extremely strong. Can she hold down Carolina? I don't know. I actually think the Polish girl gets the uh, gets the win here. But I'm not going to lie to you. This is probably a good clean pass in my books. I like the dog because it's dog money. I will play it to some small extent. But for the most part, I'm not really confident in either way. So I know Ronda Marcos, and mentally she's also not the toughest fighters. She can come out and she can blow you out one round. She can come out and she can blow you out two rounds. But even look at that Jessica Panay fight. It's 1-1 going into the third, and she's the wrestler, and she gets dumped on the ground. And once she's on the ground in that third, she gives up on herself. She doesn't get back up. That fight against Joanne Calder, where she gets sorry against uh, Rose Namajunas, she gets Kimura. You know, no shame in losing to Rose. But once again, a Kimura is a move that, as you know, you train jiu-jitsu, it requires a lot of strength. And she basically just gave it up. She didn't try to fight it back or anything. So I think she's susceptible to submissions. I think she's susceptible to fights going into the deep water. Against Carolina, she's a BJJ specialist with an infinite amount of cardio. So I think it plays out for her, but uh, pass is probably the safe move here. Andrew, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I'll add that I've sworn off betting 115-pound uh, women fights, period, because um, I, don't, I don't think I've won a single one. So, yeah, this will be a pass for me. Um, Sure, I, I think that this is a nice tester fight for Randa Marcos. Great, let's see, you know, she's wanted to fight forever. She's, you know, all these Canadian fans have just been, you know, battering about, uh, you know, saying that she needs a fight and that, you know, the UFC's burying her. So so here's a good fight against a tough prospect. Show us something, you know? And it's a showcase spot on Fox. You can't hate on that. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie, man. I, I, I like I like Randa Marcos, you know, and if you're watching this, Randa... Thank you very much. Now, next up, we got my boy, Nate Diaz, and he's taking on Michael Johnson. And, you know, obviously, everyone thinks that Michael Johnson is going to run through Nate Diaz, and maybe he will. But here's the thing. 
And I don't know how much I can reveal, but you know, one of my buddies was telling me that before Michael Johnson's last fight against Benny Dariush, I was in attendance for it. He was telling me that you know he was hanging out with Michael Johnson at UFC 189 when when Connor knocked out Chad. You know, afterwards they're having drinks, and this is during the dude's training camp. So you know, I don't know how seriously he's taking it. And that was against Benny, who's a you know top ten guy. Now Nate's a bigger name than Benny, but a lot of people have this you know they've seen Nate's last couple fights where he wasn't getting up for it, and they might think, oh, it's an easy fight. Nate Diaz is never an easy fight, and if Michael Johnson thinks that it's an easy fight, he's going to get choked out for the seventh time in his career, but if he comes in there, he's in shape, he's fit, and he fights smart, he can definitely outpoint Nate Diaz on the feet. I'm going to root for my boy Nate Diaz just because you know, I'm a Diaz fan. I mean, I like fighters that fight. I like people that entertain, and Michael Johnson entertains as well. Michael Johnson should win this fight, but, you know, since I'm not betting on it, I'm going to just do the fan pick and pick the, pick my boy Nate Diaz. Who you got, Andrew? Yeah, this is uh, this is Michael Johnson's fight to win. But, you know, I think that we saw with his last fight that, you know, maybe he doesn't always want to go out there and, um, you know, treat this professionally. Um, I will give it some slack because I think Dariush is definitely, you know, blue chip guy. So, um, so really no shame in a loss like that. But, um... God, you look at this line, and this is just this is just you know dying for a dog bet from me. Um, you know, a, a three hundred plus that's floating upwards. You know, you could you could oh, bet on Nate Diaz here. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not a three hundred plus. It's plus four fifteen right now. It's plus four fifteen right now. It's yeah. just been shooting up since they released the line. You you might get Nate Diaz at plus five hundred, and if you're not willing to take a, he beat Cowboy Cerrone in a in a similar situation where you know he wasn't this big of a dog, but he was still a dog, and no one really gave him a lot of credit for that. And um, I hit him there too. You know, Nate Diaz is a hit or miss fighter as well. Um, but the best Nate Diaz that I've ever seen fight, you know, could could take this victory, and I think that is worth the swing on this dog. Couldn't have said better myself. Now, CJ Saftik, I gotta know, man. Is Nate is Nate Diaz gonna do the unthinkable here? Cody? Oh, I think we lost our man Cody. I think he got frozen. Or am I the sorry, I just I just saw yours go frozen for a second. Yeah, sorry about that, buddy. No, it was your fault, Canada. It was yeah. the Toronto internet provider. <laughs> hey, did he did he question? Yeah, okay, yeah, here's the thing with Nate Diaz. Well, I think Andrew Lawrence made a great point here. It's it, This is all set up for Michael Johnson to win, but can he pull the trigger on a situation like this? As you, Nate Diaz is not an easy fight. Typically putting him away other than that Josh Thompson fight, good luck, man. This guy's very, very durable. And the biggest thing is he never gets up for camps. I'm actually shocked that this line's going the other way because I don't typically buy into, like, you know, pictures and whatnot, but damn, that picture of Nate Diaz... This guy's in good shape, man. He's shredded right now. And watching the UFC on Fox stuff, they follow both guys around. Nate Diaz, he seems dialed in. He's training hard. He's talking about how he looks up to Nick, how he, you know, he just wants to fight fighters. He doesn't want to fight guys that wrestle. He just wants to fight fighters. Buddy, you got your wish. Here's a guy who's not likely going to try to take you down, and he's not likely to try to point fight you. He's going to mad dog. He's going to come at you. So this plays out well for Nate Diaz in that regard. Also, I mean, you got to factor in he's up for this fight. He's going. That Benin Darius loss, if it was a real legitimate loss, it might have humbled Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson would have been back to the drawing board, and he'd be a better version of himself. But I thought he got robbed. I mean, you were in attendance, Daniel, so I don't know how you feel, but I thought he got robbed. And in his mind, he thinks he got robbed. 
So he's, you know, bitter. He's cocky. In the UFC on, you know, road to Fox 17, he's out shopping for Porsches and telling the guy at the dealership, I'm going to come back for this car once I win the belt. You know who's not doing that? Nate Diaz is in the pool doing laps. He's in incredible shape. This line definitely screams a little bit of a of dog money. But if you don't want the dog money, just stay away from it because Michael Johnson might get humbled. And it might very well be a submission. Nate Diaz's submissions, off the charts. Michael Johnson's submissions, defense, awful, buddy, awful. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I, I just want to see Nate Diaz show up, man. I think that a lot of people don't give him the credit he deserves just because they might not like his attitude, which to me I'm like, listen, you're you're paying to watch people fight inside of a steel cage. You're not paying for people to hug and fucking kiss. Like, <laughs> a high five. I, I don't understand this petty bullshit that, you know, all these fans, you're a fan of a sport where you want to see people get brutally knocked out in front of their friends and families for, you know, for, in some fighters' cases, thousands of dollars, other fighters' cases, hundreds of thousands of, hundreds of, thousands of dollars, and, you know, in people like my boy McGregor's case, millions of dollars. You want to see, you know, people get smashed in front of their loved ones for truckloads of cash and all the bragging lights are on are on the line, and you want to, you know, talk about respect and this. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Oh, God, Dan. You're like, you know when you said this that you know you were going to elicit a response from me because there's I, there's nothing that infuriates me more than these people being like, well, that, he's not acting like a good person. He's not that great of a sportsman. It's like these guys are, inflict violence on fellow human beings um, for career, for a living. <laughs> you know, like, oh, he's not the nicest person in the world. Shocker. Yeah, shocker. He's he's a trained killer. And here's another thing. Look, after the fight, the Diaz brothers are always respectful. Connor is always respectful. Once the fight is over, the fight is over. You know, you give your opponent his respect. But, you know, before the fight and during the fight, I, you know, these guys that fucking high-five every five seconds and shit, stop it, man. Fucking stop it! If you try, if I was a pro fighter, I know I'm the dude that sits behind the screen and talks for a reason. Because I know I, I know what kind of athletes are coming up, and I'm not a fucking idiot. But I mean, if I was in there and you're trying to take away food from me and my family and half of my paycheck on national television, fuck you! You're not gonna high five me. You know what I'm saying, Andrew? It's like. Okay, yeah, why are you high-fiving a person who's going to knock you unconscious on live television? That's the most embarrassing thing in the world. Dan, if on this show right now I have popped in screen right and just knocked you unconscious, we wouldn't be friends anymore. You wouldn't come on my show anymore. <laughs> so why, what, why, if that was the goal right now, would we be high-fiving? It's ridiculous. It's strategy, boys. I'm going to tell you why it's strategy right here. If you remember John Howard taking on Uriah Hall, this guy's a dead man walking. He's about to get killed, and he knows it. Now, Uriah Hall, his fatal flaw is he'll stand in front of you and not throw any strikes whatsoever unless you piss him off. If you hit him or you piss him off, he all of a sudden starts throwing shit, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. So John Howard's like, I'm going to touch gloves an abnormal amount of times. I think it was seven or eight glove touches just to, hey, buddy, it's all good. It's all good. And squeak out that split decision. But no, I agree for the most part. I mean, fighters are fighters, and Nate and Nick Diaz both, they embody that. They're here to fight, and there's a whole lot of guys that they're just trying to get the win. Maybe it's Michael Johnson's not smart enough to have that mentality, but his ring IQ tells him when he gets in there, hunt and kill, hunt and kill, hunt and kill. And that plays out well for Nate Diaz because he wants you to do that. He wants you to come at him. George Mosvidal would thrive in the same situation. He wants you to come at him. 
Yeah, and that's actually an incredible point you brought up about, you know, John Howard might have been like, well, fuck, I mean, this guy could spin and he'll kick my face off. I'm going to high-five him since he's a nice guy and, you know, win the fight that way. So, But he, here's the thing, man. Uh, there's not going to be any high-fiving with Nate Diaz. That's what I love about the guy. But on a separate note, how interesting would Michael Johnson versus Benson Henderson in a five-round fight be? Yeah, that'd be that's fantastic matchmaking. Uh, you know, that's the beauty of the 155-pound division. So many body types and so many different types of athletes uh, in it. You know, there's 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 probably another dozen matchups you can make like that that you know haven't happened that are between elite talent. But yeah, that's a particularly good one. You know, I really want to see Benson back at 155 pounds. Shit's crazy there now. Throw Benson Henderson into the mix. Let's get it even weirder. Yeah. And, you know, speaking about things getting weirder, in this next fight, we got the guy with the best one-punch knockout power in UFC heavyweight history and potentially UFC history, and he's taking on the guy with the absolute worst chin in UFC heavyweight history. And I'm talking about Junior Cigano Dos Santos versus Alistair Overeem. And Junior Cigano, I mean... I'm gonna. I mean, I've said this many times on Twitter. I've probably said it on some of my past shows. In my opinion, Prime JDS is the best heavyweight of all time. I mean, dude knocks out Fabricio Werdum in the first round, knocks out Cain Velasquez in the first round. What he did to Shane Carwin, who at the time was one of the baddest motherfuckers on planet Earth. I mean, not only did he, you know, did he make it where the dude's fucking eyes and lips are drooping down, he took down Shane Carwin two times in that fight and stuffed all his takedowns. and I mean, prime JDS is just untouchable, but he's not prime JDS anymore. I mean, you know, a couple wars with Cain Velasquez, and, you know, it took a little bit out of him. But so what? His last fight, he goes in there against Steve Miocic, the number three guy in the world. And I know a lot of people think he looks like shit in that fight, but listen, third round, he dropped Stipe. Fourth and fifth round, Stipe didn't have anything for him anymore. So, I mean, he still showed me he's got that championship heart. And as you all know, if you've been watching Half the Battle or if you're just a longtime fan of the sport, the chin never recovers and power is the last thing to go. Alistair Overeem has been knocked out 12 times in his career, and I don't even know how many times he's been knocked out in practice or his, you know, his kickboxing tournaments. You know, look, his fight with Big Country Nelson, a lot of people are saying that's his best UFC performance since Brock. You know, the three rounds, he was lighting him up. And, you know, there's moments in that fight that people forget about, like in that first round when Big Country starts teeing off on him and then Alistair Overeem's covering up, looking for the door, and then Big, and then big Country uh, either disengages or shoots for the legs. You know, he showed very poor fight IQ. I'm going to tell you what, right here, right now, on half the battle. If Junior Cigano drops Alistair Overeem like Big Country did, or if he gets him covering up like, like uh, Big Country did, game, set, and match. Junior Cigano is going to put the stamp on this, and he's going to viciously knock out Alistair Overeem. I don't care if he's training at Greg Jackson's. Greg Jackson can't go in there and fight for him, and either can Andre Arlovsky, either can any of the guys he's training with. It's over for him. What do you think, Andrew? <laughs> it got so dead-ass serious at the end there. You basically just wrote his death certificate. Um, no, but it's kind of right. Um, I, here's the deal, right? Um who knocked out um, Alistair Overeem in that big spot a, a couple fights back that was so shocking? Um, I'm sorry? Antonio Silva? Yes. And th that's when I was like, okay, Jesus Christ. Like, this is this is an issue. Um, there's no... 
there's no way this plays out, I think, other than Sagano, like, connecting at some point, and it's just going to change the tide of the fight. If doesn't just, like, put him out. You know, um, I just think that Alistair Overeem's, like, you know, the what... Alistair Overeem was a figment of our imaginations. Alistair Overeem was a was a puffed up piece of marketing and steroids that we just really wanted. I really like the guy. I think he's funny and charming in an interview. I just don't think he's this elite, murderous, you know, heavyweight fighter, and I don't think he really ever was. Or when he was, it was you know on him on an incredible amount of juice, you know, on pride level juice, um, and, and that's unfortunate. Um, I think that everything you said, uh, Dan, about you know the gypsies uh, dead on here, because because uh, Junior's Junior's one of my favorite heavyweight fighters ever, and you know he still does have that power. He's not the fighter he once was. Those cane beatings didn't take a little out of him; they took a lot out of him, and they took the best fighting years of his life away from him, really. Um, and and that's really sad. And, and you know, watching Junior for me, because I'm such a big fan of him, is always kind of a, a thing of mixed emotions. But I don't see how he doesn't connect. He's He's going to be able to take out the Alistair Overeem that fights now style. He can take that for five rounds. Um, and let's be honest, he's going to land something middle of the first, somewhere in the second, and, and puts him down, in my opinion. Um, the odds are getting tempting, like 300-something to Overeem, but this is a pass fight for me um, just because I don't want to lay, like, you know, 400 or whatever it's going to be for, um, for Junior. Yeah, absolutely. And, Cody, I mean... I'm not discrediting Overeem's offensive skills because we all know he can mix up, you know, the body kicks, the knees, and his hands aren't half bad either. You know, he's got some okay head movement. But, I mean, that shit doesn't matter when you get hit on the chin. So, I mean, he could be, he could go in there, win the first two or three minutes of the, of the first round and look like, hey, he's putting on a spectacular performance. Then an overhand right clips him, you know, and it doesn't even have to connect flush on the chin. It could, it could basically graze him. And he's going to go out. I mean, do you do you agree or disagree with me? Well, you pretty much just 100% uh, gave a recap of his loss to Ben Rothwell, where he boots <laughs> him twice in the body and knees him in the head. And then Rothwell, a That's... durable guy, is like, okay, you hit me three times. Here's a short, I believe it was a short left hook. Boom, over him, sack of potatoes, hits the ground. He's got his three last losses in the UFC. Antonio Silva knocks him out. Travis Brown knocks him out. Ben Rothwell knocks him out. JDS... Yeah, he's definitely shop one at this point. The the two fights with Kane, that hurt him bad. The Stipe fight, that hurt him bad. But if you really think about it, it takes every ounce of you to put this guy away. I mean, Stipe hit him with everything, including the kitchen sink, and he just took it. Whether he's ever going to be the same human being after that, he took it. That that Kane Velasquez thing, it's like a head plant in the fifth round takes him out. He takes everything, including the kitchen sink, like... It's sad to think about, but we're fans of prize fighting, and that's what we're there to see, and he took the ultimate sacrifice for us, and I feel bad. You, you, may, you opened up this whole convo with a, with a great point, but one I'd like to slightly debate, that Junior potentially could have been the greatest heavyweight of all time. He's got all the skills. My only knock on him, though, is that he hasn't seemed to make any improvements. He's almost the same Junior now that he was in 2010 when he was knocking out Fabricio. Good footwork, good hands. He was faster then. But he hasn't made improvements. He's been training at Novo Union, where I'm sure he's the only heavyweight in a room with tiny little guys. Team Noguera, up two shop-worn heavyweights that are teaching classes. He never benefited maximum. Now he's at American Top Team. He's putting in some hard rounds. And if he's at 70%, 70% more than enough to beat over him. The line is getting a little out of hand. Bet it now if you want to bet it. 
or get a JDS inside the distance because I find it shocking that, that Overeem could, could last in this spot. And here's a funny story for you with the Roy Nelson thing. Roy Nelson drops him in the third and almost puts him away. You're right. And in the first round, he ring IQs what screws him. I met Roy Nelson one time. I asked him to sign an autograph for a friend of mine. And I asked him to sign to the Kansas City Bandit, not Jason Hyde, different one, to the Kansas City Bandit. Roy Nelson asked me how to spell Kansas and how to spell Bandit. Not a very smart individual. Obviously was thinking I need to get this fight to the ground instead of just keep plying away at Overeem. Junior is not going to make this mistake. He smells blood. He goes after it. Give me Shigano. Yeah, and let me just uh, bring up how tough it is to finish Junior Dos Santos. So obviously we know that Cain Velasquez set a significant strike record in the heavyweight division on Junior's face. And, you know, the first fight couldn't finish him. Second fight goes in there. And it's like, what the hell do I have to do to finish this guy? So what he does is, you know, he, he takes out his cell phone and he calls for backup. And the backup was the mat. And he slammed Junior's head on the mat, and that's how Junior got knocked out. It's not that Kane knocked him out. Fucking got knocked out by the mat, bro. So, I mean, yeah. if you want to knock this guy out, you better call in for backup. And with a chin like Overeem's, it's going to be kind of tough, my man. And uh, that brings us to the main event of the evening because, like we, previ like we previously mentioned earlier, Rafael Dos Anjos is defending his belt against Cowboy Cerrone. Now, we all know Cowboy Cerrone is a fan favorite. I mean, how could you not love... Cowboy Cerrone. He's the kind of guy that you know you'd want to go have a couple beers with. You, I don't know if you'd want to go pick up chicks with him because he'd probably steal them all. But at the same time, you know their friends probably have some friends, so it'll all work out. But here's the thing, man. You know he's really good with his kicks. He's really good with his jujitsu. What he's not really good with is getting pressured in big fights. Who's gonna? Who's the best uh, pressure fighter in the UFC lightweight division? I'd say it's the champion, Rafael Dos Anjos. His pressure, you cannot replicate this. I spoke with Benny Dariush, his main training partner. This is a guy that is ranked top 10 in the UFC, a guy that's gone three hard rounds with Michael Johnson. We all know Michael Johnson's also a pressure fighter, right? Benny told me that RDA's pressure makes Benny's, I mean, makes uh, Michael Johnson's pressure seem like an amateur. I mean, he's just like... He takes away all your weapons is what RDA does. And we know with Cowboy, he needs that distance to get off on his strikes. Now, you know, the 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 common talk online is, oh, RDA is deflated and this and that. Dude, if you've seen any pictures of him lately, this guy is not deflated at all. And uh, it, it's going to be a rude awakening for everyone that thinks he's deflated. Now, I know Cowboy is the trendy underdog pick because we're all such big fans of him. I mean... Like I said, how could you not love Cowboy? It's, it's motherfucking Cowboy Cerrone. If he was the champion, that'd be so cool, but he's not going to be the champion. RDA is going to defeat him, and what I did was I put two units on the points handicap because this way we can either win a dominant decision, you know, a, a nice 49-46, or we can finish him, and we're still going to cash at plus money, okay? So that, that's my play for the card. I got RDA all day, and still. What do you think, Andrew, the clown kid Lawrence? Yeah, ultimately my pick is uh, is Rafael dos Anjos. Um, it seems like everyone's kind of you know getting on the hate bandwagon on on a lot of speculation with uh, you know is he on is he coming off steroids? How's his body look? And I haven't really seen any evidence of it. Um, but all the talk will make me wait until I see him on the scale. You know why not? You know get the live look at him uh, before you bet it. Um, you know I don't I'm not exactly sure what I'm gonna do. I kind of have him. Uh, you know, checked off to kind of make a parlay with uh, with one other fighter. Um, I might pass it depending on how the line movement happens, um, you know, post-fight. 
I think a lot of money will come in on Cowboy for some reason still. Um, especially, you know, right around that time. Of well, course, of course it will, because everyone is a big fan of Cowboy. Yeah. And this is the last event of the year. This is the last fight of the year. You know, people. You know, and a lot of people they won money on this past weekend's event. You know, the three three nights in a row of fights. So now they're just going to be spending. They're calling it the house money. But why why throw your money away? That's what I'm saying. Why throw it away? Yeah, I think it's I think it's fairly you know obvious. The closer we get to fight time, the more we'll see uh, RDA's line move. I don't know. I've always looked at Cowboy as a guy who was like you know top five, but never could be the champion. Um, you know it's how he got here. He's always kind of you know he's lost big fights in big spots. You know he might have arguably lost to Benson Henderson. Um, so you know. Uh, it's really tough for me to pick him. I'm a real. I, I guess I'm a fan of him too. He's got a cool personality, and I and I like his I like his gimmick. Um, but you know, I, and you know, he he can be tough in some spots. I could see him going five rounds and going to the decision. Um, but if that does happen, I really think that um, you know, all the later rounds will be RDA. Uh, Andrew, do you favor the guy that has a gimmick, or do you favor the guy that's on the gimmick? <laughs> okay, so Always bet on the juice, guys. If there's one, if there's one advice I can give you, bet on cheaters and guys who juice. You'll win money. And yeah, and I'm not gonna call my boy Yoel Romero a cheater by any means, but I will say, <laughs> yeah, he's the first best cheater all, in MMA. First of all, he's seven and zero in the UFC. He's been the underdog in almost every single one of his fights. And he always wins, so maybe you guys should consider starting to bet on him. Stop fucking, you know, talking about the stool, this, Derek Brunson took him down, you know, this and that. I don't give a fuck. He keeps winning, and he's always the underdog. So, I mean, just, you want to make money or not? Now, Cody, I got to know, man, the last fight of 2015, RDA versus Cowboy for the title, who takes it? I think uh, RDA beats him up. The real question is if uh, the judges are going to get it wrong like they did in that Yoel Romero fight. I mean, uh, who, 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 who I, I'm kidding. I actually had Yoel Romero in that. I'm surprised how many people are outraged with the Jacques Ray win, or Jacques Ray loss. But, uh, hold, yeah. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, I, I just sorry, had to sorry. throw that heat out your way. Pretty, sorry, pretty close sorry, fight. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, but let, let, let's just let's score that fight real quick. First round. <laughs> first round. Then no. First round, Yoel drops him with a spinning elbow and then almost knocks him out with ground and pound. That's a 10-8 for Yoel. Jordan Breen throwing out these 10-8 rounds? Come on. 10-8. That's, that's a 10-8 round. Next round, you know, next round could have gone either way. Okay. Jacare's round. I, I thought 10-9, Yoel. You can make a case 10-9, Jacare, whatever. Third round. 10-9, Jacare. Second round. 10-9, Jacare. So at best, it's a draw for Jacare, but in my scorecard, it's a 29-27, Yoel. Take it away, Cody Saftik, with the main event of UFC Orlando. Uh, Donald Cerrone, um, he's, he's a bully fighter. He's got a bully mentality. Yes, he likes to hang it at range, but if you've ever even met this guy in real life, he's aggressive. He likes, to, he likes to play it out to himself. I need to be aggressive. Get in the head of his opponents. Be that guy. When he has somebody pressure him, that's when he tends to crumple. And uh, as you mentioned with Rafael Sanos, his pressure is basically second to none. So that's how I see the fight playing out. I mean, with Cowboy, he wants that space. He wants you to respect his power. With Rafael Sanos, this man respects nobody. Anthony Pettis was ranked in the pound-for-pound pound list. He was, you know, supposedly the best striker in MMA. And Rafael Sanos stood right in front of him in Mad Dog for 25 minutes. No problem. Now the question marks here, fellas. Yeah, maybe he was on the GAC. Maybe he's not on the GAC anymore. Who knows? And the guy blows out his knee and takes some time off. Those are huge question marks, but 
And from all the training footage I've seen from him, it does not look like it's affected him. The year is 2015. We have figured out how to, you know, fix knees. We have figured out how to beat drug tests. I'm not alluding that he's on anything. I just mean style for style. He's already fought Donald Cerrone, and he kicked the crap out of him. He dropped him. He took him to the ground. He handled him on the ground. You know, it was a very solid performance from him. Donald Cerrone has had many fights since against nobody on the level of RDA other than Benson Henderson, a guy that probably did win that fight. I agree with that. I think Henderson won, and Henderson was no match for RDA. RDA, people always look and they think about, oh, the Clay Guida broke his jaw, or Jeremy Stevens knocked his head into the next dimension with that uppercut. People remember that stuff. Yo, not the same guy, man. He is not the same guy. He's the man now, and people need to respect him as the man, and this should be a, a good performance for him, so to speak. Yeah, and I mean, people bringing up Jeremy Stevens knocking out RDA is like me bringing up Joe Duffy submitting Connor when Connor didn't even train jiu-jitsu. I mean, it's just an asinine argument, and... Just whoever says that, you know, I, I want to slap you. Now, next up, I mean, we've obviously we've covered the whole card, but you know, one thing I like to do on half the battle is I like to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So I gotta know, Andrew, what is the fight to watch for UFC Orlando? Nate Diaz against Michael Johnson. Um, you know, if we're going to do this, like, what fight am I most excited to see? I'm most excited to see that fight. Uh, I'm kind of a fanboy on uh, on Nate. Uh, I remember watching his, his Ultimate Fighter, um, and I just think that that's a great matchup. I think that that's a matchup that is cater-made for him to, you know, fight above his status. And I think Michael Johnson's a special athlete, so, you know, that's... Um, that's my fight to watch. Uh, fighter to watch. Jeez, I don't really know. Who's... Hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, I'll hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to get Cody's fight to watch first. Okay. Oh, that's how it works. Uh, I'm going to be a jerk here. I'm going to throw two of them out. We've already talked about Tam Damercory versus Josh Simon. That is a fight I definitely have a lot of interest in. But uh, Hader Hassan versus Vincente Luque. That's going to be my fight to watch. If you remember their fight from the Tough House, barn burner, man. And uh, Daniel, you know how Hader Hassan is. He's... You know, not getting any better. He swings wild bombs. He walks forward. He's a poor man's Robbie Lawler, and he is fun to watch. Vicente Luque, you know, much more refined prospect. Puts on a show every time. I'd love to see that one. And even just in this rematch, if you watch the first one, it's great times. Both men look like they just walked out of a car crash afterwards. This will be a good rematch, at least in my head. I hope it doesn't disappoint, but that will be my fight to watch. And just a little side note for everyone watching, if you want a little MMA trivia, Vicente Luque actually has a TKO win over Tiago Mareta Santos. And if you know about Tiago Santos, I mean, I said I said on Twitter, you know, the other week when he was walking out, like, I, I was legit scared when that dude was walking out. I mean, that dude is, is fucking scary, bro. And when you get kicked with one of those shots, I mean, props to Elias for just for not quitting because, I mean, a lot of dudes would have looked for the door. You know, just the sound that kick makes, I. I'm just very scared by Tiago Moreta Santos. I think he's, you know. Hey, hey listen, Elias, Elias Theodore is Canadian, so he might have no athleticism or an actual good, solid skill set here, but he could take a beat. Yeah, absolutely. He's as tough as they come, and you know it should have been stopped with a cut, but you know what? It wasn't, and he he went on. He took his absolute respect in the world. For Elias Theodore, and it goes back to what we were talking about. You know, some fighters, you know, are the kind of dudes you want to hang out with, and some are the kind you just want to, you know, bet on. And Elias is the kind of dude I'd like to hang out with, and Tiago Santos is the kind of dude I'd like to bet on. Now, I got to know, Andrew, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Orlando? I mean, 
I want to say this. Uh, I want to caveat this before I tell you who my fighter is. You know, the cowboy, the the, the fighter to watch here is really cowboy. I think that the UFC is, you know, from a marketing and money standpoint, you know, they're really betting and hoping that cowboy can get this done. This sets up such a big money fight for them and, and a huge moment for the sport. So that's really the thing everyone's supposed to be watching. Um, the fighter to watch for me, I'm going to say, and it, you know, it's a big name in the co-main event, but but Junior Dos Anjos because. You know, um, someone who's a really big star in in Brazil and in a really big name. You know, he could in in a big spot like this in a big KO could put himself back into contention into the heavyweight. And you know, God knows, you know, we could you know just use a lot of excitement around that division. Absolutely, man! I cannot wait to see what happens in that fight. And you know, I know that. Cowboy versus McGregor is going to be a big money fight if it happens. But I'll tell you what, as a fan of McGregor and just of the sport in general, I'd rather see RDA versus McGregor, assuming that RDA beats Cowboy because it's a more challenging fight. I want to see my boy actually get challenged. I mean, the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world couldn't even last 15 seconds with him. So I want to I want to see him get challenged, and maybe RDA is the guy to do it, maybe not. But if I had to make a pick about McGregor versus Cerrone, I'd pick a first-round knockout for McGregor. It is what it is. Now, my fight to watch for this card is, you know what? Let's go with Jury versus Dubronx, and I'll tell you why. You know, we mentioned that Dubronx said he had a torn esophagus, then a week later it turned out he didn't, and then a week after that he's already accepting another fight. This guy, he's got to be a little embarrassed after that. I got to admit, you know, he's probably like, fuck, like, they actually believe that shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I want to see what he brings to the table. And then with Jerry, he's dropping to 145 pounds for the first time. You know, is that his natural weight class? You know, and the IV band now and everything, you know, maybe it's exaggerated, maybe not. I'm just curious to see how that fight plays out. And as far as, far as my fighter to watch, um, I would say Nate Diaz. You know, he's coming off. A year layoff, you know, last time he fought was against the champion, and, and he came in at about 160 pounds, so, you know, he's, I heard he was injured, and if you've been seeing the pictures, this guy's ripped out of his mind, this is his last chance to get in title contention, and we're going to see if he rises to the occasion or not. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this very special UFC Orlando edition of Half the Battle, you know, it is, it's going to be the last breakdown of the year, I mean, there's no more cards after this, and... I'm very happy that I got Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence and Cody Saftik to join me. And so you know what? The floor is yours, guys. Just let the audience know where they can find you, what you got coming up, and anything else you'd like to plug right here, right now on Half the Battle, Andrew. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. It's always a good time. Um, always appreciate having you on my show and coming on this show. Um, it's always it's always a laugh. Anyone can find me uh, if you if you like my or if you like me on this show, you might like my other show. Uh, Before the bald man speaks, it's directly after every UFC main event. We just break down the card, and I have a guest, um, you know, from across the MMA Twitter sphere, uh, come and just and just shoot the shit. Um, so just go to YouTube and type in Before the Bald Man Speaks and subscribe. Uh, that's the easiest way to get it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter anytime at the Clown Kid, and um, I'll mostly respond to everyone. And I highly recommend that you guys check out Before the Bald Man Speaks. And, you know, it's very, uh, you know, accurately named because it literally happens before the bald man speaks. And if you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the UFC press conference. That's when the bald man speaks. So before the bald man speaks, that little gap <laughs> between the main event and the press conference, that's when my boy Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence, he goes live on YouTube and he breaks down the fight with a great guest. 
every single time. So you definitely have to check that out. Go subscribe to his YouTube channel. And my boy Cody, I mean, Bookie Beatdown, you know, one of the most underrated, you know, I don't know if I want to call it pre-fight show or whatever it is, it's good, it's working, please keep putting them out and let the audience know what you got coming up, Cody. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, Bookie Beatdown definitely takes up a lot of time, especially uh, the more UFC cards that go into it. And I think a lot of people assume that me and Paul sit around all day and then just uh, do a show. But yeah, we edit the show. I mean, we put boards on it. We put viz on it. It is uh, it is time consuming, but it's all worth it because, you know, people at least uh, for the most part seem to, they like it as long as you don't pick against Conor McGregor is what I've uh, come to learn. But anyways, <laughs> I never got a, a fighter to watch in this card, so I'll leave you with this. Valentina Shevchenko, hit me up at CJ Saftig on Twitter. Shit gets interesting if Shevchenko wins big time. I think she's the fighter to watch. All right. And, you know, I guess people get mad when you pick against Conor McGregor because picking, because picking against Conor McGregor equals losing. And we're, <laughs> we're here to give out victories, so it is what it is, my man. And, you know, again, I'd like to thank you guys for being on this show. And, you know, for all the fans watching, thank you guys so much, you know, for making half the battle what it is. And, you know, you can subscribe on YouTube on SoundCloud, and now on iTunes. Please go subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes. Give me a five-star review. Tell all your friends about it. I got some very good fighters coming up this week that I'm going to interview. My man, Frankie Signs. This is a guy that everyone counted out against Uriah Faber. Everyone said, oh, Uriah is going to drop him and choke him out in the first round, and you know, it didn't go down like that at all. My boy Frankie put up a serious fight, and you know, in my opinion, the way he lost was the next best thing to winning because now people are saying, I can't wait to see Frankie Sines fight again. So very excited to talk to him. And obviously Nicholas Dalby, he's coming on the show too. He just had a fight of the year contender with Darren Till. So, you know, it's only exciting fighters on half the battle. You know we go in depth. And I want to thank you guys one last time. Enjoy the fights this weekend. <laughs>